0: Let us pray. Almighty God, give us that fruit of the Holy Spirit. Give us that joy that makes us strong. Make us like that exemplar of the faith, John the Baptist. Make us willing to count the cost to take up our crosses, to diminish and fade away. Yes, Lord, make us able to hear that call from on high. Make us, O Lord, witnesses of your second coming. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. In our gospel reading this morning, we're given the final verbal testimony of John the Baptist. Here he shows the truthfulness of the apostles description of him in chapter one, verse verses six to nine, which says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe in him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Our passage gives credence to this description. It is the manifestation of John's joyful mission pointing to the true light. The true light that enlightens everyone. The true light that was coming into the world. Here we are given an example of what a true Christian looks like and how meaningful are Christ's words when he says among those born of women, there has arisen no one as great as John the Baptist. How meaningful are those words from Christ? Why is no one greater than he? Because he joyfully said both in word and in deed that Christ must increase And I must decrease. Like his Lord, it was because of the joy that was set before him that he endured his course. So what is the fruit that emerges from John the Baptist that makes him such an exemplar? What is it that makes him so distinct and strangely different from all other men? Is it not Christian joy? Is it not that fruit of the Holy Spirit? Is it not his premier example of gladly pointing to Christ, being united with his bride? Despite the consequence of losing fame, he rejoices at the bridegroom's voice. Despite the loneliness and many sufferings that he would endure on account of Christ's arrival, he says, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the fruit that every Christian must show. And so in the remaining minutes, let us learn of this fruit for which John the Baptist so wonderfully shows. But before we do this, look with me at the context of this passage. We are told in verse 22 But after Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. You see, Jesus moved outside the city to the countryside. He had left Judea at the end of the first chapter. We find him ministering in Cana of Galilee and Capernaum in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Then in verse 13, he returns to Judea and his Judean ministry begins. First, he preaches in the temple, then in Jerusalem, and then in the Judean countryside. And this is the place in which we find our Lord in our passage. Rejection seems already present at the start of Christ's ministry. As this seems to be instrumental... And driving Jesus to move from the center of society, the city, to the countryside. By being obedient, his ministry expands. We are told that he is baptizing and all are going to him. And so he finds himself in that glorious intersection. Where John the Baptist's ministry and Christ's ministry come side by side. They had met before. At their last meeting, Andrew, Peter's brother, had transferred his loyalty from John to Jesus. And this made sense as John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's likely that there were many more of John's disciples who did the same thing. And it's in this context of John the Baptist's ministry being affected by Jesus' growing ministry, that Christian joy gloriously emerges. It is here that we find this fruit of the Holy Spirit. Just as he had joyfully pointed to Christ and proclaimed him as the Lamb of God, he now, in effect, is joyfully pointing to Christ's bride for whom His Christ has made pure or makes pure. He finds joy, you see, in diminishing and fading away so that Christ would appear and take his bride to himself and purify her. The bride knows the voice of the bridegroom. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The bride finds joy in hearing and seeing that heavenly union Even if it means a loss of popularity, even if it means imprisonment, even if it means execution. Behold, the bride of Christ for whom he makes pure. So what is Christian joy? What is this fruit in which John the Baptist so wonderfully exemplifies? First, let us see what it is not. Christian joy is not envy. It's not jealousy. It's not covetousness. We read that some of the disciples of John the Baptist found it very difficult to transfer their allegiance from John to Jesus. Though they represented John the Baptist, they could not be farther apart from imitating him. We read that a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Despite claiming to be his disciples, despite calling him rabbi, a term denoting respect, they were miles apart from representing their teacher. Beloved, let us humbly remember how easy it is to become passionate about the wrong things, to sin, to literally miss the mark. It is so easy to become passionate about the wrong things. And we see John's disciples doing this. See how they were gripped with jealousy and envy? They saw their ministry beginning to lose popularity. Now, I know that this is something that we all struggle with. We frequently experience jealousy and covetousness. We often want what others have, don't we? We rationalize our greed. We claim that it's healthy to harness, that it helps us to climb the ladder of success. But is this what we see from our godly example, John the Baptist? Does his disciples' statement of distress elicit envy and frustration from him? Not in the least. Not only was John not troubled by Jesus' popularity and his losses, no, he was pleased by them. Like John the Baptist, let us grasp and embrace our joyful mission. Let us prepare the way of the Lord and let us not get in the way of the Lord. He must increase and we must decrease. Our life must be defined by death if it is to be raised to life. So what is Christian joy? What is the fruit that John the Baptist shows? First and foremost, Christian joy is humbly receiving God's call. That is what John says. That's what he points us to. We see this in verse 27 through John's humble yet instructive response to his disciples, where he says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You see, instead of chastising and humiliating his disciples, he orients them to humbly receive The sovereign call. God's sovereignty is so important. You see, instead of slipping into self-interest, instead of slipping into jealousy like the disciples, instead of trying to advance His position at the expense of another, namely Christ, He helps His disciples to acknowledge that God is the giver of all things. We should not overlook this point. Is this not similar to what Christ would later say in chapter 6 of this same gospel? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. See how John's disciples want him to work. They want him to do something, but he directs them to wait, to wait and stand in wonder at the supreme giver of good news. That is what we are to do, and that's what we're reminded to do in this Advent season, to wait and to stand in wonder of the giver of good news. This is the posture that every Christian must have. If we are to act courageously, if we are to fight bravely, as our baptism liturgy says, Then we must duly receive God's call. He is sovereign, and it's good news for us. But how humbling and contrary to our instincts is this? You see, Christian joy cannot be worked up, it cannot be manufactured. No, it is a heavenly gift. It is not a fleeting feeling. It is not an earthly treasure. No, it is who was and is and is to come. It is the Word of God made flesh. It is salvation. It is Yeshua. And it is the necessary decision to decrease that He must increase. Because of God's calling, like John the Baptist, we can be delighted to see Jesus' popularity growing and ours diminishing. You see, Christian joy, first and foremost, is humbly receiving God's call. It's not something that we take up as much as it is something that has happened to us. Second, Christian joy is giving witness of Christ's coming. Christian joy is giving witness. Giving witness of what? Giving witness of Christ's coming. That is what Christian joy is. We read of John the Baptist saying in verse 28, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. I have been sent before. Before him. John never claimed to be Christ. But was as his father Zechariah had prophesied many years before. The one who will be called the prophet of the most high. Who will go before the Lord to prepare his way. To give knowledge of salvation. Salvation to his people. In the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of. Of our God. You see, from the start to the finish, He was the voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. He was denying Himself and calling Israel to repentance because the King was coming. He was the great witness of Christ's good news. And this is a joy that we too must share in. This word witness must describe every true Christian. We must be martyrs for Christ. Witnesses. And if we are to give witness of Christ, then we cannot avoid death. The very word in the Greek, martyria, witness, is where we get this word, martyr. We cannot avoid death, church, If we are to be witnesses of Christ, you see, John the Baptist, he went before the Lord. So, too, must every Christian go before the Lord in witness of his blessed coming. The psalmist who rejoices in the coming of the Lord, listen to what he says. He says, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Why? Because He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. Beloved, because He is coming, we have reason. To be joyful. Just as John went before the Lord, we too must go before the Lord in humility and joy. This is the mark of every servant of Christ. And this is the mark of every true Christian. Like John, let us rejoice greatly in that we have heard the voice from on high. And let us say with Him at our Lord's second coming that our joy is now complete. We have reason to decrease because He must increase and judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. So do not wait for His arrival to rejoice. For if we wish to be made happy at His arrival, then we must go before Him. In faith that though we die and fade away, He will raise us to everlasting life in Him. You see, Christian joy is going before our Lord and giving witness of His coming. And lastly, Christian joy is costly. It is immeasurably costly in verse 20 verses 29 and 30 John the Baptist says the one who has the bride is the bridegroom the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice therefore this joy of mine is now complete he must increase but I must decrease Yes, this joy is so costly. Why? Because love is central to joy. You see, we don't see how costly this is until we get to that final verse, verse 30. We hear him describing his joy, rejoicing. My joy is now complete. Doesn't sound so costly, does it? But love is central to joy. And love is costly. But you know what else? Joy is central to hope. It is because of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus that we gladly cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You see, when we place our trust in Christ, we discover this wealth that is greater than anything of this world. We're willing to sell everything that we have that we might obtain and receive and enjoy this blessed gift. And if this gift is more valuable than anything of this world, then it is also more victorious than anything in this world. And so let us count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds, for it is in our suffering that we are joined to Christ, Peter says. And this union will one day be realized at our Lord's second coming. Yes, let Christian joy be the fruit of our service to Christ as we wait for him. Let it be the measuring rod that awakens us to crucify our our flesh all the more. If we have not enough joy, then we have not enough love for Him. When we find ourselves unhappy and anxious and jealous, let us repent and let us believe. Let us feast on the goodness of our Lord. Let us grasp the Father's acceptance of us in his son. And let us realize that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Have you the joy of the Lord? Christian? Is your heart glad? Are you glad to give up? We go before the Lord. There is still time to be made ready for his return. Rejoice for God's word has come Let us be made ready for his return. If the joy of the Lord led him to death, then it will lead us to death. And if it could not be snuffed out by his death, neither will it be snuffed out by our death. The joy of the Lord, church, is our strength. Have we the fruit that John the Baptist so exemplified? May we give witness to those truthful words. He must increase, but I must decrease. Amen.